This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes, and a quiz. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily, and this is the week of January 24th through 28th. And uh, getting right into it, on Monday, we have the contestants Joanne Mercer, a nursing assistant from Toledo, Ohio, Aaron O'Leary, an attorney from New York, New York, and Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose 38-day cash winnings total $1,307,200. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, Writers Do Write, Roma Life and Culture, 90s R&B and Hip Hop, Government Agencies, Rattle and Hum, and U2, uh, not a category about the band, a category where each correct response is a word with two U's in it. I sort of wondered if the Roma Life and Culture category was at all in response to... um the kind of secondary controversy regarding the use of uh, the word gypsy um, back when the Sean Kelly fiasco was happening. I had the same exact thought. I mean, that was a while ago at this point, but we know that categories are written and then put in a database to be drawn at basically any time. Yeah. Uh, so it could have been written... F- fairly soon after that or even if they took some time to be like we want to research this properly Mm -hmm. uh yeah i i had the same thought uh but it was an interesting category yeah for those who who may not be aware roma is the proper term for referring to people who we typically call gypsies they are the roma Mm -hmm. yeah gypsy is um a derogatory term yeah considered derogatory I sort of liked the um, the neg bait of the thousand dollar clue in Writers Do Write. This author of vampire novels donated one dollar from each sale of the short second life of Bree Tanner to the Red Cross. And Aaron, I think, had seen author of vampire novels um, and it was a Pavlov and she rang in and said, who is Anne Rice? And that was not correct. And then Amy rang in and then didn't come up with anything. Yep. So that's that's Stephanie Meyer, uh, author of the Twilight books. Yes. I think it's a good thing to have a Pavlov on Anne Rice. Mm-hmm. But we know yeah. that Twilight was very popular. Is very popular. Mm-hmm. And we should not be elitist about particular books, I say to myself. I read all of the Twilight books in... Like a like a one week like fever dream, basically. <laughs> Came out of it was like, well, that was weird. Um, they're they're very plot driven. They're very plot driven. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I I felt like there was maybe also some like funny neg bait, although nobody went for it in the 800 level of government agencies. The mission of BLM, short for this, is to sustain the health, diversity, and pro- productivity of the public lands. Um, and I thought to myself, if you just s- saw that and zeroed in on BLM is short for this, you could very easily ring in and say, what is Black Lives Matter? That's true. Yeah. 
That's why you gotta hear the rest of the clue. Yeah, gotta pay attention to the the whole clue. Mm-hmm. Daily Double Number One is in the U2 category at the $800 level. Aaron finds it. It's pick number five. Uh, she's at $1,200. Amy's at $600. Joanne's at zero. And she makes it a true Daily Double. Way to go. Gets the clue. Moses' mom put him in an ark made of this plant. She does not know and guesses what is papyrus, which is not a bad guess for the Nile, mm-hmm. but that is uh, bulrushes. So she drops to zero, but like she... Yeah, it, it, it's, it's basically back to even at that point. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round... Uh, Amy has worked herself up to 6,600. Aaron uh, has slipped to negative 800, and Joanne is at 3,000. And we get the double jeopardy categories The Crusades, Bodies of Water, Science Abbreviations, Spice Up Your Life, From TV to Film, and The Year of Before and After. They're getting getting tricky with their before and afters this week. I loved that Year of Before and After category was uh that was really fun yeah at the twelve hundred dollar level fateful year for the titanic and a movie in which henry fonda plays a drawer that's 1912 angry men it's a lot of angry men hey i have a quibble with the eight hundred dollar level of science abbreviations or cyber as the case may be um the clue there was it makes fat and muscle relative bmi and joanne got that one it is body mass index and i knew what they were asking for mm-hmm. the body mass index is problematic in that it does not in any way account for body composition like the fat and muscle referenced in the clue mm-hmm. it is your weight in kilograms divided by your height in i think meters squared mm-hmm. and that means that you can have a very high BMI and, you know, and, and not a lot of body fat if you just happen to have like a huge amount of muscle mass or the reverse. It's, it was, it's, it, yeah. Anyway, the mention of fat and muscle, I was like, well, really, like the problem with the BMI is that it does not in any way measure fat mass and muscle mass and like these things right, that are not, you know yeah that's not really what it is or what it yeah. does the um the reliance on bmi uh as a measure of health is super problematic yes, not good not, not good, good at all anyway uh daily double number two is in that the year of before and after category at the 1600 dollar level and amy finds it at the ninth pick she has 11,800 to Aaron's 400 and Joanne's 3,000. She wagers 4,000 and gets the clue. William Henry Harrison wins an election. A short nap ensues. And I would not have been able to pull the year of William Henry Harrison's election, but mm. the before and after helps. And she gets it. It's 1840 winks. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I I, I would have known it was like you know, approximately 1840, but like 44, 36, like I, I would have gotten a little, a little mixed up there. I don't know if she knows all of her presidential election years cold, but the, uh, looking for that, looking for that number idiom, um, really narrows it down. Yeah, it does. Uh, and daily double number three is in the science abbreviation category, uh, at the $1,600 level. Amy finds this one. She's up to 21,400. 
Uh, Aaron is at 400 and Joanne is at 3,800. It's pick number 16. Uh, and she wagers 5,000. Gets the clue. They are in power across the pond and elsewhere. BTU. And she gets it correct with what are British thermal units. Mm-hmm. Across the pond. Helped me be confident about what that B was for. Mm-hmm. At the end of the double jeopardy round, Amy's in a lock position with 37,600. Aaron's at 800. Joanne is at 4,200. And we have the final jeopardy category, U.S. Museums. And the clue, named for a benefactor, it was established in 1893 to house artifacts from the nearby World's Columbian Exposition. Aaron uh, did not finish writing... um, uh, but was heading for what is the Bush Museum. Uh, that is not correct. Um, she's wagered 799 so all but a dollar. She drops down to a dollar. Joanne has what is the Field Museum. Uh, that is correct. If you remember my deep dive about World's Fairs, you'll remember <laughs> that uh, the uh, 18... 18- the, the 1893 and World's Columbian Exposition should lead you to Chicago, and then hopefully you'll remember the name of uh, an important museum in Chicago and get there. Yep. Um, I'm sure that's how Joanne got it. No, that's uh, <laughs> that's a that's a thing to know. Um, she's wagered two thousand. Uh, that brings her up to sixty two hundred. And Amy tried what is the Grant Museum, and with a twenty five thousand dollar wager, that drops her down to twelve thousand six hundred. But uh, still gives her the win. Uh, So on Tuesday, we have the contestants Maria Krasinski, a managing director and illustrator from Buffalo, New York. John Williams, a biology professor from Albany, Georgia. And Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, who's 39-day cash winnings. Now total $1,319,800. And with that 39th win, she moved officially past Madame Odeo. Uh, we get the Jeopardy round categories Sea Life, S-E-E, National Anthem Lyrics, Signs of the Zodiac, Women in Politics, Sports on TV, and Time to Get Ahead with Head in quotation marks. Mm. And the the Sea Life category was really just about seeing things. Like, they just showed pictures. Yeah. I guess that involved some kind of life at first i thought it would be animals because the 200 hundred dollar clue showed a picture of a dachshund uh but then there was a tic- picture of a teepee the esophagus <laughs> bananas bananas foster, foster <laughs> and batik yeah uh, and I, I i do not see a through line there no there might be but who knows it seems it seems to me that maybe the through line is uh picture clues that we that we uh, left on the board by accident in previous games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it just it just seems to me that maybe this is a, a collection of like <laughs> leftovers. Yeah, it might be just leftover picture clues. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they were, they were lovely, but just you know, yeah, no real uniting theme except the the presence of an image. After all of my claiming that I know nothing about astrology. I knew every one of the signs of the Zodiac yeah. clues. Sure. Yeah. I think Castor and Pollux, I, I finally learned because I missed it in uh, in a quiz on the podcast. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Gemini is identified with the twins, Castor and Pollux. That was the $1,000 level, and Amy knew that one. Mm-hmm. 
Daily Double number one is in the National Anthem Lyrics category at the $600 level, and Amy finds it at the eighth pick. She has 2400 at this point to John's 200 and Maria is uh, at zero. She wagers, uh, she makes it a true daily double and gets the clue, with glowing hearts we see thee rise, the true north strong and free. And she correctly guesses, I, I seem to recall that it, that it seemed like she was guessing, but she got it correct. Uh, it's Canada. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, she has taken a solid lead as she so often does, um, with 14,600. John's at 2,200. Maria's at 1,400. And we have the double Jeopardy categories, Sea Life with C in quotation marks, Books with Horsepower, French Art and Artists, This Will Floor You, Movies That Mention Their Titles, and A Quick and Dirty Category movies that mentioned their titles they used the quote from the movie where the title is part of the dialogue right i imagine most movies mention their titles somewhere or other not all i don't know i mean (laughs) there have been a lot of movies and I, i i don't know that i don't know that they always would you know yeah that was a good category though i enjoyed that oh yeah we had in that category a near miss um, at the $1,200 level. The clue was Hugh Grant's opening narration. If you look for it, I've got a sneaky feeling you'll find that this title is all around. And Maria rang in and said, what is love? And then as Ken was saying no, she added actually. Yeah. And they, they gave her credit for it. So Yeah. Yeah, they allowed it. Yeah, I think a, I don't think a be more specific would have been warranted. No, right? No, I, I think, and I don't think you could prompt them, prompt them like more. You know, I don't think there's a prompt you could give there. Yeah, having uh, joked around about everyone's horse girl phase, it's very gratifying to me to keep seeing Marguerite Henry coming up <laughs> in the twelve hundred dollar level of books with horsepower. Yeah. Yeah. They asked about a sequel by Marguerite Henry, where Stormy is the foal of this horse of Chincoteague. Misty of Chincoteague is a famous, famous, uh, one of Marguerite Henry's, I think, more successful or or better known titles. But she's the one who wrote the like gajillion books that are, you know, sort of horse novels geared toward kind of middle school readers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Daily Double number two is in the French Art and Artist category at the $800 level. It's pick number two in the round. Amy finds it. She is at 15000 John's at 2200 Maria's at 1400 and she wagers 5000 Gets a clue. Rodin's sculpture, The Thinker, was originally conceived as a representation of this poet gazing at the gates of hell. And she gets correct with, who is Dante? Mm-hmm. I got a little stuck on that for a second because I was like, wait a minute. This is a French art and artist category, but Dante is Italian. Like this, this is not that. That's not the art or the yeah. artist. It's oh. Rodin's the thinker. Rodin. Yeah, <laughs> it's, the, it's the French art by the French artist. Uh, and Daily Double number three is in that books with horsepower category at the eight hundred dollar level. And John finds this one at the twenty fourth pick. He's at three thousand to Amy's thirty two thousand and Maria's twenty six hundred. He wagers just fifteen hundred, which is fine. Yeah. 
at, at this point, there's not enough money left on the board to break Amy's lock, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, 9,600 left on the board. He could get up to 6,000. And then if he got all the rest of it, he'd be at, yeah, he'd be at 15,600. And w- and that wouldn't happen anyway. But yeah, no, there's it's not even mathematically possible to break Amy's lock. Unless she, unless she, unless she nags a bunch of them. Yeah. Anyway, so like, you know, whatever he's comfortable with, I think is okay here. He gets the clue. Tom Booker is this title cowboy whose voice can calm wild stallions and whose touch can heal broken spirits. Mm -hmm. He tries who is Lonesome Dove, uh, which is not a bad guess. They were looking for the horse whisperer here. Yeah. Which I imagined was kind of like a, yeah. Yep, oh, that's the yeah, one. Yep, right, yep I, that's it. That that makes a lot more sense. Had, had yeah. that had that feeling before. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, so he drops down, but it again, it's it's a battle for second place because at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Amy is at thirty eight thousand in a lock position over John's fifteen hundred, Maria's twenty two hundred, and we get the final Jeopardy category: Sea Life, <laughs> as in S E A, which. Uh, I think Andy at the Jeopardy fan said that he's not sure. He thinks it has happened before that there has been a three round like uh, theme with clue category names, but not very often. And we get the final Jeopardy clue in 2018. National Geographic reported that half of this was dead, quote, akin to a forest after a devastating fire. Uh, John got it correct with what is the Great Barrier Reef? And he wagered everything but a dollar. Maria also got it correct with what is Great Barrier Reef and made a cover bet of 801. And Amy got it correct with what is the Great Barrier Reef and wagered $25,000. She she gets it right there and, and gets that 25000 back that she lost the previous day. Mm-hmm. Up to 63,040 wins. Yes. Uh, so on Wednesday, we have the contestants Roan Talsma, a librarian from Chicago, Illinois for that particular job title and hometown before in combination. Janice Hawthorne Tim, a music educator and choral director from Ukiah, California. Yay for music educators. And Amy Schneider, an engineering manager from Oakland, California, whose 40-day cash winnings total $1,382,800. And we have the Jeopardy round categories, the Carolinas, Creature Comforts, Serial, homophones, ten of a kind, and conference championship heroes. Um, Specifically, football. Yes, from the NFL Today team. Uh, clues about the conference championship heroes who got their teams to the Super Bowl. I would love for anybody who knows to tell me why Amy did not need to be more specific. When she rang in and said, who is Manning? Because watching at home, I was like, well, I think that's a Manning. Yep. But I know there's more than one and I don't know which is which. Um, it is it is surprising. Uh, Eli Manning was also in the NFL at that time. Mm-hmm. Not to mention Archie Manning was also their father, mm-hmm. was also an NFL quarterback. Granted, mm-hmm. well before 2006. I thought I remembered that. Yep. But. I mean, there there have been three Mannings within the family, let alone anybody else who might have also been named Manning, who have been NFL quarterbacks. So I think 
she definitely should have been prompted to be more specific there. Yeah. I mean, always start with just the last name, right? Like, see if they'll let you get away with that. Yeah, yeah. Amy did it right, but probably should have been prompted. Yeah. I mean, if I was prompted to be more specific on a president named Kennedy... (laughs) There's only been one! (laughs) Then you should probably be more specific with a quarterback named Manning. Yeah. If if the reason for your prompt was, well, it's a political family, there's been lots of, you know, people in in politics right only one president but like you know yeah maybe you don't know that that maybe you maybe you thought it was robert or something yeah Yeah. ted (laughs) Um, okay uh Um. (laughs) but we did get a miss at the thousand dollar level there which uh, i thought was a little surprising in the first ever conference championship in 1971 baltimore downed oakland putting the game away with a 68-yard fourth-quarter touchdown strike to Ray Perkins from this legendary quarterback. So there, there's some layers there. It shows the Colts against the Raiders, uh, which actually neither of those teams are in those cities anymore. So, like, the Raiders aren't in Oakland. They're in Las Vegas now. Uh, mm-hmm. But the Colts moved from Baltimore to Indianapolis um, a, a while ago. Uh, and But the, the Pavlov for the Baltimore Colts should always be Johnny Unitas. Mm. Always, always be Johnny Unitas. That's what I always say. Just kidding. (laughs) I did not know any of that. I thought that was a really interesting clue because, you know, neither team is in that city anymore. It's talking about Johnny Unitas. If you're looking at the Colts and you're thinking Indianapolis, like if you may not, you wouldn't be able to go back to 1971, even if you know football uh, Mm -hmm. for Indianapolis Colts. So anyway. Yeah. Oh, I, uh, I sort of liked the $400 clue of 10 of a kind, one of the two books of the Bible that list the Ten Commandments. Janice rang in and said, what is Exodus? Mm -hmm. Um, And that is correct. You will find the Ten Commandments in Exodus. You will also find them. (laughs) J Archive just has, just lists one of Exodus or Deuteronomy, but I'm pretty sure Janice said Exodus and then Ken said, yes, Deuteronomy is the other. Uh, Deuteronomy literally means second law in Greek. Hmm. There are large portions of Deuteronomy that are just sort of a recap of the the previous four books, uh, including a reiteration of all of the Ten Commandments. Um, so I uh, like I like that clue. Um, seldom comes up that you'll that you'll find them in a second location in the hmm. Bible. Yeah. Daily double number one is in the Carolinas. At the $1,000 level, Roan finds it. At pick number six, he is at 1400 Amy's at zero, and Janice is at 800 Amy actually hasn't gotten in on the buzzer yet at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he makes it a true daily double. Smart. And gets the clue, this army post northwest of Fayetteville boasts of being home of the Airborne and Special Operations Forces. And uh, he doesn't know it. He gets what he guesses what is Fort Smith- but that is Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. When you don't know, just guess Smith. Yeah. Fort <laughs> it's <like> Johnson. <laughs> it's going to work for you sometimes. Mm-hmm. The uh, the gloating that happens every time a Learned League question has the correct answer, Smith, and all the people who just guess Smith every time, like, yeah. just have a little, have a little party <laughs> on yeah, Facebook. it worked! It worked! <laughs> Confirmation bias! Yep. So he drops back to zero, but that's in a tie with Amy. So, s- still not behind. 
At the end of the Jeopardy round, though, Amy has gotten herself up to 7,200. Janice is at 2,000 and Rona's at 3,400. And we get the Double Jeopardy categories. That 1770s show, Book Bindings, OMG, Alphabet Soup, Celebs Who Appeared on Kids TV, and E Before I. And Book Bindings is kind of like a before and after, but you just have to give the word that connects the two, the before and the after. Yes. I think they decided to be flexible on the exact title of the show of the $400 level of celebs who appeared on kids TV. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were looking for the PBS kids show about a prehistoric reptile on which Selena Gomez was an adorable tyke. Ron rang in with what is Barney the dinosaur and they took it. They were looking for Barney or I think technically Barney and friends was the title of the Mm -hmm. show. Yeah. But like, they could have been pedantic about it, it's I guess is Barney. what I'm trying to say. If you got Barney, I mean, most of the time I'm a stickler for like, you got to get it. You got to be specific. You got to get it right. Mm-hmm. But I'm okay with this one. <laughs> yeah. OMG was all about um, gods, deities. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed that. Yeah. It was a fun one. one. They had one about uh, Ranganui, the, uh, the primor- primordial sky god of this people of New Zealand. That's, uh, the Maori. They had one about Thor. Had one about the Egyptian god of chaos who killed his brother Osiris, whose name is like the third son of Adam and Eve. That is Seth. Amy got that one at the $2,000 level. Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel and is sent into exile. And then Adam and Eve have a third child, Seth. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Daily Double number two is in the That 1770s Show category at the $2,000 level. Amy finds it at the fifth pick. Uh, she has 10400 at this point to Janice's 2000 and Roan's 3800 She wagers 4000 and gets the clue. In 1776, he wrote, Tyranny, like hell, is not easily conquered. Yet the harder the conflict, the more glorious the triumph. And she correctly responds, who is Payne, Thomas Payne. That takes her way up. The outcome of this game had been spoiled for me. And still, I, like... At this point, I was like, oh, maybe I'm mixed up. Maybe, you know, like. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, she was on her pretty normal trajectory at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And like th- over three times. Second place. The second the second place contestants score. You know, it was hard to see. I mean, there, there's still a lot of money left on the board, but like that seems so conclusive so early, you know. Yeah. But. We get to pick number 23, uh, which is where Daily Double number three comes in. It's at the $1,200 level of OMG, and Roan finds it. He's been able to get a tiny bit of momentum going right before this. Uh, he's at 7800 Amy's at 24000 and Janice is at 3600 and he bets it all. Yes. Thank you. That is you. the correct move. Yes. I mean, if she'd been at 34000 I would say... There's not enough left on the board, maybe, to get within striking distance, but maybe there is. Whatever it is, it's the right move. You got to make the play. And he gets the clue. The Greek goddesses of vengeance are called the Eumenides, better known as these, a word from Latin. And he gets it correct with what are the Furies? He he jumps up. And uh, so at the end of the double jeopardy round, Amy is at 27,600. 
Roan is at 17,600, so this is not a lock game. And Janice is at 3,200. We have the final Jeopardy category, Countries of the World. And the clue, the only nation in the world whose name in English ends in an H. It's also one of the 10 most populous. You got to just know your most populous countries. That's kind of, yeah, that's how I approached it. Yep. I was... (laughs) I was in luck here um, because when the pandemic started, my my husband decided to start teaching the kids things about the countries of the world, one a week, going from most populous to least populous. (laughs) That's an interesting way to do it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So somehow I just had those ready to go. Janice struggled with it and eventually started writing what is Syria. I mean... The thing with this Final Jeopardy is, like, there is no doubt in your mind whether you have it or don't. Yeah. Right? Like, either you've come up with the only country whose name ends with the letter H, or you have not. Yeah. Um, uh, If you come up with something that does end with H and you're not entirely confident whether it's a country, I guess I could see that. But sure. yeah, anyway, she's wagered 500. Uh, that drops her down to 2,700. Rowan has what is Bangladesh? That is one of the most populous countries in the world. It is. And it ends with an H. He's wagered 12,000, bringing him up to 29,600. Amy did not come up with anything. She just has what is question mark mm-hmm. and has wagered 8,000. Yep. Which drops her down to 19,600 and gives Roan the win and watching his face as he realized what had happened was was great yes it was, it was a very great reaction yeah yes indeed uh so amy's run ends at 40 games one million three hundred eighty two thousand eight hundred dollars not too shabby and man this next tournament of champions is gonna be something else it, yes it will i wow i mean I'm thinking about, you know, Zach Newkirk and Brian Chang and Andrew He and like, you know, five, six, seven, eight game winners, mm-hmm. which the vast majority of tournaments of champions, like at least going into it, looking at those stats, it's like, yeah, pretty much everyone is on like equal footing. It, you know, it's whatever. And like, you know, my my tournament, it was like. All of us seven and below, and then James Holtzauer. Right. Which was like, come on. (laughs) Like, really? Mm -hmm. Come on. Uh, But like this, I mean, not only Matt and Amy, but like Jonathan Fisher's an 11-game winner. Like, double digits digits is rare enough. Mm -hmm. You have three double digits, two of whom are now number two and number three. And like, and Zach and Brian and and Andrew and all the like, all the other ones who I can't even like go through in my head right now, are yeah. all very good. It's I'm yeah I'm I'm yeah, very excited. It's be wild. It is. I'm very excited to see it, and I also f- honestly feel kind of bad for some of the people involved because <laughs> there can only be one winner, and if they were just spread out, <laughs> like yep. any like multiple of them could have been tournament winners, but yeah. But that's just the way it goes. Yes, indeed. So on Thursday, we have the contestants Carrie Cadwallader, a business intelligence manager from Aurora, Colorado. Woo-woo. Chris Canohy, a technician from Brooklyn, New York. And Roan Talsma, a librarian from Chicago, Illinois, whose one-day cash winnings total 29600 
in the Jeopardy round, we have the categories Mothers of Invention, U.S. Place Names, Transportation, Always Broadway, Compound Words, and A Little Five-Note Melody, which we did not get through all of the clues in this round, and the one that we left off was the fifth one of A Little Five-Note Melody, so I don't know what the notes are. The $200 clue is G-sharp, and then they showed a picture of a gimlet and the drink called a gimlet. Which is basically just like gin and lime. Four hundred dollars was B natural. Um, they were asking for a birch tree. Six hundred was C sharp, and the eight hundred was E flat. Like I'm just going through that in my head, and that's a I don't know. It's interesting. I I, I want to know what the last one was. It's just bothering me from a musical perspective. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I was I was perplexed about that that whole category. It would I bet it would make more sense if we saw the last clue. Yeah, I want to know what it was. Anyway, we had a really unfortunate miss and pickup in Always Broadway at the thousand dollar level. Uh, the clue is I've got a lead for you. Alan Alda portrayed Shelley Levine in this Mammut play in two thousand five, um, and Roan started saying, "What is Glenn Gare?" oh darn sorry and stopped and then carrie got in with what is glenn glare glenn gary glenn ross and i did the same exact thing she did which was almost say it wrong so hard to say glenn gary glenn ross um but i don't know why roan stopped yeah unless, unless he second guessed himself mm-hmm. uh daily double number one is at the eight hundred dollar level of mothers of invention and carrie finds it at the 16th pick. She has 600 to Rowan's 1,000 and Chris's 400. She wagers 1,000 and gets the clue. The wife of Martin Cooper, father of the cellular phone, Arlene Harris, developed this cell phone brand for seniors. Um, she doesn't know it. Uh, that is Jitterbug. I hadn't heard of it either. So Really? I was going to say, have you ever watched Jeopardy? Because I'm pretty sure that's oh, been that- advertised... <laughs> I mean, it hasn't, uh, it's been a while, but I'm pretty sure I've seen a number of Jitterbug commercials. I'm not sure I've seen it, but we have a, like an enormous number of like local mm-hmm. Jeopardy ads. Yeah. I just thought it was funny. Like, yeah, pretty, pretty sure that one's been around uh, with with Jeopardy. Um, so at the end of the Jeopardy round, Roan's at 1200. Chris is at 800. Carrie's taking the lead and is at 4200. And we have the double Jeopardy categories. Fathers of the Nation, um, sort of paired with Mothers of Invention, I guess. Uh, books and Authors, AAAA rated, two A's in quotation marks. Movies and Geography, the WHO says, I think the contestants couldn't decide whether to call that as the WHO says mm-hmm. or the WHO. And Thanks Vermilion. I always want Vermilion to be yellow, and I don't know why. Oh, uh, yeah don't know why it just does not sound red to me yeah i get that it's like an orangish red right to be honest i don't even know it is such a block in my mind i won't even look it up apartment therapy in an article called what's the deal with vermilion says true vermilion isn't a uniform shade it varies from a brilliant orange red to a duller bluer red well there you go yeah Oh, I understand what happened here now. In the movies and geography category at the $1,200 level, the clue was, as the Stanley 
Henry Stanley in part of a um, 1939 movie title, Spencer Tracy explores sub-Saharan Africa seeking this doctor. Mm-hmm. Carrie rang in and said, what is Stanley and Livingstone? That was incorrect. And Ken said, sorry, Carrie, we were looking for the doctor, David Livingstone. Mm-hmm. Um, or Livingstone. Livingstone. Living Livingstone. Livingstone. I think I uh, came across it in writing first and pronounced it Livingstone in my head and then couldn't decide whether I was wrong or whether I was just hearing people pronounce it wrong or whether there was more than one. Anyway, I misheard and thought that she had unnecessarily provided an incorrect first name. Mm-hmm. But of course, she was referring to the, the film title. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But they asked for the doctor. Yep. All right. Daily Double number two is in the movies and geography category at the $800 level. It's pick number three in the round. Carrie finds it. Uh, she's at 6200 Rona's at 1200 and Chris is at 800 She's made a good move. And she wagers 2000 and gets the clue. In a 1942 film, a map shows a refugee path from Paris to Marseille to Oran, then to this title place in North Africa. And she gets correct with what is Casablanca. And Daily Double number three is in books and authors at the $2,000 level. Carrie finds this one as well at the 14th pick. At this point, she has 11,000 to Rowan's 5,600 and Chris's 2,400. She wagers 2,000 and gets the clue. The title group discusses Emma in chapter one of this novel by Karen Joy Fowler. She tries what is the book club uh, but they were looking for the Jane Austen book club. Mm-hmm. So she loses the 2000 she gained earlier. And at the end of the double jeopardy round, we have some, you know, through history of jeopardy, normal scores, recent history, abnormal scores. Uh, mm-hmm. Roan and Chris are tied at 9,200 and Carrie is at 13,000. Uh, we have the final jeopardy category, 18th century names and the clue In 1793, he left Dublin for the United States, saying, I expect to make a fortune off George Washington. And he did. Uh, Chris wrote, who is question marks? And wagered everything but a dollar. So he drops to one dollar. Roan wrote, who is Guinness? Uh, Which is incorrect. And wagered everything. So Chris's one dollar earns him a thousand dollars. And Carrie wrote, who is Madison? Which is yeah not not there and uh had made a cover bet and a little bit of 5500 uh so she drops to 7500 but she is the new champion Mm-hmm. yeah um i thought that was a hard clue yeah oh sorry the, i didn't say the correct response the correct response is gilbert stewart the portrait painter Mm-hmm. yeah i i did not figure it out because Chris and Roan were tied going into Final Jeopardy, that changes the waging, wagering strategy a little bit mm-hmm. versus having, you know, someone behind you in third place. Jeopardy wagering nerds would say wager all of it or wager zero. Uh, those are those are your two choices mm-hmm. when you're tied for tied for second place. If you're wagering all of it, then the hope is that Carrie misses, and you get it, and then, worst case scenario, you're heading for a tiebreaker. Right. And if you're wagering zero, 
you're you're thinking maybe this is going to be a triple stumper, in which case Carrie should drop below you and then either you win or you head for a tiebreaker. But that turns out to be pretty much irrelevant and only really affects how second and third place shake out because uh, because both Ron and Chris went for went for the big wager. Mm-hmm. So on Friday, we have the contestants Jay Foster, an engineer from Rancho Palos Verdes, California. Kristen Greenwell, a communications associate from Washington, D.C. And Carrie Cadwallader, a business intelligence manager from Aurora, Colorado, whose one-day cash winnings total $7,500. And we have the Jeopardy round categories. It happened in Europe, science and nature, fashion, word origins, Americana, and dad TV. They give you the dad you name the television show. Yep. We also didn't get through all the clues in this round or the mm-hmm. double jeopardy round. I think, I mean, I guess we got used to most clues being correctly responded to for one mm-hmm. that, that shortens up the time and just fewer triple stumpers, you know? Yeah. I guess we got used to that. Yeah. Or at least I did. My eight year old got a big kick out of Ken's introduction where he recapped the uh <laughs> the season <laughs> the season the champions of the season back to madamodio mm-hmm. there are what 10 maybe yeah fewer? No, it was not that many no <laughs> we're have... we are a hundred episodes in yeah it's wild yeah i would never in a million years have guessed that seersucker comes from persian no me neither. I was like, so the, the the clue was Persian for milk and sugar gives us the name of this striped and puckered fabric often used for summer suits. I was like, striped and puckered? Is that corduroy? Does corduroy come from Persian? Ooh, definitely do not wear a corduroy suit in, in the summer. summer. That's also what I thought. But I was like, what else is like s- striped and puckered? What does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but apparently that's seersucker. Yep. We had a an unfortunate reversal at the $1,000 level of word origins. Oh, somehow I thought seersucker was in word origins, but it was in fashion. Could really have gone. Well, it was a either. word origin question, yeah. too. Yeah. So at the $1,000 level of word origins, from the French, where it means origin, it's the chain of ownership of an artwork. Uh, Carrie rang in and said, what is Providence? And Ken said, yes, and moved on. Um, and then at the break uh they reversed it and took two thousand dollars away one thousand that she had won and shouldn't have and then the thousand for the incorrect answer because it is not providence it's provenance provenance providence is of course also a word mm-hmm. um but doesn't fit the um from the french where you know for or, you know f- i guess it doesn't mean the chain of ownership of an artwork no, imagine, not, yeah, <laughs> maybe not the French part either. Yeah, I imagine it shares a root with provenance. Maybe from the Latin for something. Yeah. Daily double number one is in the science and nature category uh, at the four hundred dollar level. It's pick number four, and Carrie finds that she's at four hundred, and Kirsten and Jay are both at zero, and she wagers a thousand as well. She should. Gets the clue. He wrote that in 1666, 
I procured me a triangular grass prism, with an E, to try therewith the phenomena of colors. Uh, and she gets it correct with who is Sir Isaac Newton. She included mm-hmm. the Sir, which was, I thought, very respectful. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Carrie is in the lead at 6,600. Kirsten is at 1,600, and Jay is at 600. And uh, we get the Double Jeopardy categories, Rhyming American Road Trip, Biblical Prophets, One-Syllable Adjectives, Hook, Line, and Sinker. And Line gives you uh, a line from a play, and you name the play. Also, real quick, in the uh, interviews, Carrie told us that she judges knowledgeable in Colorado. Now, I have never run into Carrie judging knowledgeable, but I have a knowledgeable team and have been involved Mm. in knowledgeable in Colorado for uh, some time in my life. I hope to run into her someday. Yeah. I would assume that it can't be that big of a world. Like, you probably will run into each other sooner or later, I would guess. I I would think so, too. But now that I know who to look for, right? Yeah. Oh, we had uh, the very first question of the round. Uh, Jay started us off at the $1,200 level of biblical prophets. Uh, and the contestants just rode the struggle bus with this one. Uh, the clue was yeah. Haggai encouraged people to get busy with this construction task and that they would be rewarded with abundance. That's... Not great grammar. Um, nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, somebody had to sacrifice some parallel structure to get that to fit in the, in the little square. Uh, Carrie rang in and tried, what is the Temple of Solomon? That was incorrect. Uh, Kirsten rang in and said, what is, and then got a little stuck and then uh, came up with what is building the kingdom of heaven, which, you know, like... Way to go for it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that's not correct either. Uh, building the second temple in Jerusalem is what they were looking for here. So Solomon builds the temple. The temple is destroyed when the Babylonians like sack Jerusalem and take the Israelites into exile. They come back from exile and then eventually build the second temple. Mm-hmm. Uh which then is destroyed by Rome in 60 AD? 70? 60. 70, 60. Is the, 70, 70 was the one that I think of. 70. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> mixing up my, my first century timeline here. 60 is uh, the date of the first the, of the Gospels written in mm. the New Testament. Uh, <laughs> I have too many, too many dates kind of stacked on top of each other in my brain. So yeah, seven, uh, 70 AD is the, is the destruction of the Second Temple. Daily Double number two is in the Rhyming American Road Trip category at the $1,200 level, and Jay finds it at the 13th pick. He has 5,800 at this point to Carrie's 4,600 and Kirsten's 800. He wagers 3,000. And gets the clue, head west out of one state that borders Manitoba to enter a second state that also does. And he had to think about it and puzzle it out for a minute, but he got there. It's North Dakota and Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Uh, Which I think are the only two that rhyme on the northern border. Mm, Yeah. So even if you weren't sure that Manitoba touches both of them, it's it's really the only option there. If you remember Mm -hmm. that Manitoba is in Canada. 
Yes. Uh, and Daily Double number three is in the one-syllable adjectives category at the $2,000 level. It's pick number 20. Carrie finds it. Uh, she is at 6200 behind Kirsten's 3600 and Jay's 12000 uh, He He went on a on a bit of a tear after that uh, Daily Double. He, he, he got himself out to a good lead. Uh, she wagers 4000 which I like, and gets the clue. Evasive or shy, like the mistress in an Andrew Marvell poem. And uh, she has some trouble coming up with anything. She guesses what is bashful, uh, but that is two syllables and also incorrect. Uh, the correct answer is coy to his coy mistress. So that kind of takes her out of contention for the game. Yeah. So at the end of the double Jeopardy round, we are in a lock tie. Uh, Jay is at 13,600. Kirsten is at 6,800. Ken notes that that is exactly half of mm-hmm. Jay's total. Should he be noting that? I Arguable. <laughs> don't know if he should. But he did. Yeah. So. And carries at 5,000. We have the final Jeopardy category, 1970s singer-songwriters. And the clue, while speaking to Congress in 1985, he explained that his 1973 hit, now a state song, wasn't about drugs. <laughs> Carrie responded, who is John Denver? She had Bob crossed out. Uh, that is correct. And she's wagered 4,500, taking her up to 9,500. Kirsten wrote down, who is Woody Guthrie? Um, she said you're going to laugh, and then Ken didn't really laugh. Yeah, like, I I thought it, I mean, it's it's not correct, but... But if someone's writing a song about drugs... Yeah, 1970s singers, like, it fits the, it fits the category. Fits the clue, yeah. Um, yeah. Whatever. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so she's, she's wagered everything. Um, Which she should. Which is the correct move here, but that drops her down to zero, so she's going to finish in third place. Jay has the correct response, who is John Denver. Um, he had a couple of choices here. He could wager zero, which means that in the worst case scenario, he's going to a tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. Or he could wager something, which means <laughs> if he gets it right, he wins no matter what. But if he gets it wrong, then potentially he just flat out loses. He chose to wager zero, and it didn't really matter, right. uh, except for what his total would be, because uh, no one has made it up to thirteen thousand six hundred. So, uh, so he just wins outright. That's right, and we will see him on Monday. We have a yes. returning champion there. Mm-hmm. So, this is the point in the middle of the show where we take a little break and remind you that we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash potent potables. We've got some exclusive content on there. Uh, Every week we put up the quiz questions as soon as we finish recording so that Patreon supporters can get a look at those while we're in the editing process before the show posts. Um, And there's a couple other things on there uh, as well. If you have a couple bucks a month to throw us to help us with the costs of making this podcast, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. And we want to thank our supporters who are helping us be able to do this. Um, And while we're at it, we want to acknowledge, as we do every week, that there are more important things in the world than this podcast um, and encourage you to, if you have limited funds, put them toward things that 
matter a little bit more, a lot more in the world. Um, a couple that are important to us, uh, you can find at blacklivesmatter.com, communityjusticeexchange.org, and the Stop AAPI Hate GoFundMe. And those are linked in the show notes. Yep. So do you have deep dive guesses, Kyle? I do. I don't feel too confident because there were a lot of triple stumpers this week. There were, yeah. There were something like 30 triple stumpers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them were good good material for what we do. So I narrowed it down, not based on much, but just like, yeah, maybe these. Are we talking about Gilbert Stewart? Yes. Oh, wow. Yes. <laughs> you did it. Got it in one. Yep. Okay. So- yeah, I mean, it was a it was a triple stumper final Jeopardy, which yeah. when when those come around, I want to like I, like they get a little boost in my consideration. Sure, absolutely, um, me too. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, that's a name that I know now that I see it, but like I you know I don't know much about him. I don't think I would have been able to pull it. So like, let's let's learn something about Gilbert Stewart and maybe like have that knowledge more available to me and to you and other listeners um in the future all right sounds good uh so uh gilbert stewart as i hope we remember at this point was an artist famed painter of portraits of presidents politicians statesmen significant people of the late 18th early 19th centuries. Um, he was born on December 3rd, 1755 in Saunderstown, uh, a village of North Kingstown in the colony of Rhode Island and Providence Plantations. What Rhode Island was. Uh, he was the third child of Gilbert Stewart, who was a Scottish immigrant employed in the snuff making industry, and Elizabeth Anthony Stewart, a member of a prominent landowning family from Middletown, Rhode Island. His father, owned the first snuff mill in America, which was located in the basement of the family homestead. Mm. Stewart moved to Newport, Rhode Island at the age of six, where his father pursued work in the merchant field. Um, And there in Newport, he first began to show promise as a painter. Uh, In 1770, he made the acquaintance of Scottish artist Cosmo Alexander, uh, who was um, visiting the colonies, um, making portraits of local patrons, and uh, Cosmo Alexander became Stuart's tutor in the field. In 1771, uh, Stuart moved with Cosmo Alexander to Scotland to continue his studies. Uh, however, Alexander died in Edinburgh one year later. Stuart tried to maintain a living and pursue his painting career there, um, but was unsuccessful at that point, uh, and so he returned to Newport in 1773. The onset of the American Revolution jeopardized his prospects as an artist. Social upheaval and disruption doesn't really like lend itself to, you know, sitting for portraits and you know commissioning art. Um, so, although he supported. Uh, the Patriots, he departed for England in 1775 to try to um, continue to like launch his career. He became a protege of Benjamin West in 1777 and studied with him for the next six years. That relationship was beneficial with Stuart exhibiting for the first time at the Royal Academy in the spring of 1777. Uh, In 1782, he started to meet with more success. Um, A portrait of Sir William Grant titled The Skater uh, was uh, 
greatly acclaimed. Um, it was his first full-length portrait. Uh, art historian Margaret C.S. Christman uh, says of this portrait, it belied the prevailing opinion that Stuart made a tolerable likeness of a face, but as to the figure, he could not get below the fifth button. Um, and uh, Stuart said of the uh, of that painting that he was suddenly lifted into fame by a single picture. In 1786, he married a young girl named charlotte coates she was 13 years younger than him i haven't done the math on how old that makes her at the time but not very (laughs) she might have been like 20 i guess that's not that young for the time they would have 12 children um over the years a couple of them died very young five more died so at some point in like childhood early adulthood it looks like this is not that well documented from what i was able to find um, my understanding is that by 30 years into their marriage, uh, seven of their 12 children survived. Hmm. He was having pretty good like commercial artistic success. And uh, the prices for his pictures were reported to be exceeded only by those of a couple of renowned English artists, uh, Joshua Reynolds and Thomas Gainsborough. Um, however, despite this, he struggled financially. Um, and was in danger of being sent to debtor's prison. Uh, In 1787, he fled to Dublin, where he continued to be successful both in painting and in accumulating debt. And in 1793, he returned to the, uh, now the United States, leaving behind numerous unfinished paintings. And he returned to the United States with a particular goal in mind. Uh, Specifically, he wanted to paint a portrait of George Washington have an engraver reproduce it, and thereby provide for his family by the sale of the engravings. Mm -hmm. He settled briefly in New York City uh, and pursued portrait commissions from influential people with the goal of having one of those people bring him to Washington's attention. And uh, he was successful in 1794. He painted statesman John Jay and procured from John Jay a letter of introduction to George Washington. In 1795, he moved to Germantown, Philadelphia, where he opened a studio, and George Washington posed for him later that year. Uh, Stewart painted Washington in a series of iconic portraits, each of them leading to a demand for copies and keeping him busy and highly paid for years. The most famous and celebrated of these is known as the Athenaeum Portrait. And the image of George Washington on the $1 bill is based on that painting. Stuart painted about 75 reproductions of the Athenaeum. However, he never completed the original version. You can find this image online. Um, After he finished Washington's face, he kept that original version in order to make copies, but never actually kind of filled in around it. He sold maybe as many as 70 of his reproductions for $100 each, but the original portrait was still unfinished at the time of his death in 1828. It was jointly purchased by the National Portrait Gallery and the Boston Museum of Fine Arts in, and is generally on display in the National Portrait Gallery. Another uh, particularly celebrated image of Washington is the Lansdowne portrait. This is the large portrait, uh, one version of which hangs in the East Room of the White House. Hmm. And this is the one that was rescued during the burning of Washington in the War of 1812, thanks to the efforts of First Lady Dolly Madison and uh, Paul Jennings, an enslaved person 
owned by the Madisons. Four versions of the portrait are attributed to Gilbert Stuart, and additional copies were painted by other artists for display in U.S. government buildings. In 1805, Gilbert Stuart moved to Devonshire Street in Boston, uh, continuing in both critical acclaim and financial troubles. Uh, In 1824, he suffered a stroke which left him partially paralyzed, but he continued to paint uh, after that for two years until his death in Boston on July 9th, 1828, at the age of 72. Uh, He was buried in the Old South Burial Ground of the Boston Common. He left his family deeply in debt, and his wife and daughters were unable to purchase a gravesite, so he was actually buried in an unmarked grave. His family recovered from their financial troubles about 10 years later, and they planned to move his body to a family cemetery in Newport, um, but they could not remember the exact location of his body, so it was never moved. Uh, There's a monument for Stuart, his wife, and their children at the common burying ground in Newport. Hmm. His daughter, Jane, uh, who lived from 1812 to 1888, was also a painter. Uh, She sold many of his paintings and her replicas of them from her studios in Boston and in Newport. The Boston Athenaeum held a benefit exhibition of Stewart's works in August 1828, not long after his death, in an effort to provide financial aid for his family. More than 250 portraits were lent for this exhibition, uh, which was critically acclaimed and well-subscribed. It was also the first public showing of his unfinished uh, Athenaeum head uh, portrait of George Washington. By the end of his career, he had painted the likenesses of more than a thousand American political and social figures, including the first six presidents. He was praised for the vitality and naturalness of his portraits, and his subjects reportedly found his company agreeable. Uh, mm. there's, a, there's a quote from John Adams who wrote, speaking generally, no penance is like having one's picture done. <laughs> you must sit in a constrained and unnatural position, which is a trial to the temper, but I should like to sit to Stuart from the 1st of January to the last of December, for he lets me do just what I please and keeps me constantly amused by his conversation. <laughs> yeah. So reportedly, you know, a kind of agreeable person to uh to have painting your portrait he was known for working without the aid of sketches he would begin directly upon the canvas or i guess he didn't actually always paint on canvas a number of the ones that i looked at were uh painted on wood um but he you know he he didn't uh he didn't sketch first he he worked directly which was unusual for the time period he was featured in a uh, in a series of postage stamps in 1940, uh, when the U.S. Post Office issued a series called the Famous Americans series commemorating famous artists, authors, inventors, scientists, poets, educators, and musicians. Uh, so he was on the one cent stamp in the artists category, along with Whistler, Daniel Chester French, Frederick Remington, and Augustus St. Gaudens, who I had not heard of. And uh, today, his birthplace in Saunderstown, Rhode Island, is uh, the Gilbert Stewart Birthplace and Museum. So that's a little bit about Gilbert Stewart. Nice. Yeah. Now I know. I yeah. feel like I'm not going to forget him next time he comes up. No, he's... And that really contextualizes the the Jeopardy clue where he uh, left Dublin for the United States uh, saying, I expect to make a fortune. 
right. uh, from painting George Washington, right? Like the the uh, constant threat of debtor's prison and the and the financial struggles plays a role. Yeah. So, are you ready for a quiz? Oh yeah. All right. Well, when I saw that uh, Gilbert Stuart had painted the first six presidents, that seemed like the right way to structure the quiz. Um, so, okay. where where possible, I'm connecting to uh, his actual paintings of those six presidents, but where I didn't find anything in particular of interest about the painting or had a hard time finding anything besides like, here's the picture. Well, I just have a question about the president. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, so question one. It is a common but incorrect belief that George Washington wore dentures made of wood. And I've had people point to Gilbert Stewart's portraits of George Washington to say, oh, you can see he never shows his te- teeth. It is true that George Washington wore dentures. Uh, his dental health was terrible, and his first permanent tooth was pulled at the age of 24. Uh, however, his dentures were not made of wood. Imaging of his dentures was conducted by the National Museum of Dentistry in 2005, and they found a number of materials, including one especially shocking source. For eight points, name the distressing provenance of Washington's dentures, and I'll give you a point each for any other correct guesses. I guess there are up to potentially 13 points here. Okay, well, I'm going to assume that the one you're going for is human, but not his. Yep. Yeah, pretty, we're pretty sure it was taken from his slaves. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that is correct. I'm not sure what else would be included. I mean, I, I imagine ivory. Yep, that's another point. And then, uh, well, I don't know, gold? Uh, no gold. Okay. That I've seen. Do you want to take, do you want to take another stab or, uh, for, try and go for any more points or should we, should we call it there? Uh, sure. I'll take another guess. Let's go with, if I say metal, do I have to be more specific? I will ask you to be more specific. Yeah. Um, lead? Yes. Okay. There we go. Yeah. So uh, the the big one to know here is uh, human teeth, but not his, as you as you put it. Um, likely from his own slaves. Um, there's written documentation of him buying teeth from enslaved people he owned, and his dentures contain human teeth. It can't be conclusively proven that the teeth that we have documentation of his, him buying are the same ones from the dentures. It's conceivable that he was having dentures made for a family member, but like, you know, that's right. It's a, it's a, it's hard to imagine yeah. that, that those are not this, you right. know, that that's not where those human teeth came from. Right. Given the documentation that exists. He also had a uh, cow or horse teeth. Okay. Uh, I, ivory that's cool. probably hippopotamus ivory, but possibly elephant. Uh, there's a lead tin alloy, a copper alloy, or maybe brass, uh, one source said, um, and a silver alloy. Nice. Yeah. So you're at 10 points. 20 points. 20 points. Yes, you're, you're at 20 points. I don't get this uh, very often. Don't take this from me. <laughs> yep. You're at 20 points. And 10 for... 
on the first guess, you got it. <laughs> you got the topic. Uh, and, and time for question one. So we're, uh, we're on question two. Gilbert Stewart's portrait of John Adams graces the original cover of a Pulitzer Prize-winning biography of the second president. What historian authored the volume? His other works include Truman and Mornings on Horseback. Oh, you didn't mention the one or two that I know. Because I, I had a thought as to who it was, but I don't... Oh, no. Oh, God. Was this, is it him? No, it's not. It's the other one. I... Oh, okay. Hilariously, I think I know who the who the wrong guess that you're referring to is. Okay, the first name that came to mind was Stephen Ambrose, but I think it's not Ambrose. I think it's McCullough. I'm going to go with McCullough. It is McCullough. Okay. Ooh, I was like, as soon as you mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, it's Stephen Ambrose. Yeah, Undaunted Courage and, and you know, Band of Brothers and all that and whatever. Wait a minute. No, it's not. Yes. All right. Yeah, and, and apparently they reprinted it with... Paul Giamatti as John Adams from like an HBO series, I think it is. Yeah. On the cover, which I, I haven't seen the new cover. As soon as I decided I was going to try and come up with these, with you know the, the these questions, I was like, well, I'm sure the you know the the cover of D- David McCullough's biography of John Adams must be the the Gilbert Stuart portrait. Nope. It's Polly G. <laughs> that guy is everywhere. Good for him. Anyway, all right. You're at 30 points. Question three. Thomas Jefferson sat for portraits with Gilbert Stewart three times, but had great difficulty getting Stewart to deliver a finished product to him. In 1818, Jefferson prevailed on his friend Henry Dearborn to bring his influence to bear on Stewart. Dearborn had served in Jefferson's cabinet in what position? A A role held first under President Washington by Henry Knox. I know the name Henry Knox. And my gut is that that is Fort Knox. So I am going to go with Secretary of the Treasury. Ooh, it is Secretary of War. Secretary of War. That was the other one that my mind was thinking. And I was like, but Fort Knox is Treasury. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, you're at 30 points. Yeah, even even with Dearborn trying to wrestle a portrait out of Gilbert Stuart, uh, it was not really super successful. Um, and Gilbert Stuart at one point claimed that he had made the portrait of Thomas Jefferson entirely for his own edification and had not been paid for it at all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which was not correct. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. Question four. Uh, I wasn't able to find anything of note about Gilbert Stewart's painting of James Madison, but I did come across some information about how James Madison met his wife, Dolly. Hmm. What mutual friend, recently more famous as somebody else's enemy, introduced the two? Recently more famous as somebody else's enemy. I mean, I don't know this, but that suggests the prominence of Hamilton and thus Aaron Burr. So I'm going to say Aaron Burr, sir. And you are correct. Aaron Burr knew James Madison from their, uh, you know, their political careers. And Dolly Madison via, if I, uh, if I understood this correctly, um, like the, like the boarding house that her mother ran or something like that, uh, and connected the two. 
so Ooh, yeah that's nice. that's how they met fascinating yeah you are at 40 points and question five Gilbert Stewart's portrait of James Monroe was commissioned by then governor of Connecticut Oliver Walcott it is speculated that there may be some connection between this commission and Walcott's later request for a political favor, specifically for Monroe's help in a matter involving the firm of what New York businessman whose mansion is now the official home of the New York City mayor? How am I supposed to know this? <laughs> I don't live in New York, Emily. Okay. Okay. New York businessman who is now the I don't know the whose mansion became the official home of the New York City mayor. Yeah, I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Uh okay. I'm trying to think of a even a New York businessman of the 1810s and 20s? Yeah. That's too like that's too early for the for like, you know, Boss Tweed and the Tammany Hall and like all of that mm, yeah. stuff. <sighs> New York businessman trying to think of just names that are associated with new york the i i'm not gonna get it the only name that comes to mind is clinton so i'm gonna go with clinton hmm okay um gracie archibald gracie was the businessman um and gracie mansion is the uh residence of the new york city mayor that's a building name that had come up as sort of important to know that I, that I knew before becoming a New Yorker. So I was hoping that it was accessible. I will take your word for it. All right. Well, you're at 40 points. And what should we call this category? Let's call it colleges and universities. Hmm. I don't feel very confident about that. Given that I believe we're moving on to John Quincy Adams, and I know very little about John Quincy Adams. Mm. Uh, I will, um, I'll just do 25. All right. So for 65 points, if you are correct, the final president to be painted by Gilbert Stewart was John Quincy Adams, but Stewart did not finish the portrait. He painted the head, but died before it was completed. And the rest was done by Thomas Sully. This portrait hangs in the art museum of what Massachusetts institution of higher education at which both the sixth president and his father were educated. I should know this. It's in Massachusetts. Yeah, I know it's in Massachusetts. Thanks. (laughs) There's more than one in Massachusetts. That's true. There was even more than one in Massachusetts. At that time. At that time. Yeah. Yeah, That's why I... That's why I should know this. I should have this memorized, especially with John Adams. I'm going to... It is It is as much a guess as any other, so I'm going to pay homage to you and say Harvard. And you're correct. Yay! <laughs> Yay! 65 points. Um, yeah, uh, John Quincy Adams and John Adams were both Harvard-educated. Uh, Adams family is very like connected with Harvard history. Yeah. So... Hopefully we all know a little bit more about Gilbert Stewart. I know I do. Yeah, so do I. <laughs> thank you, Emily. Yeah, well, thank you. And thank you, listeners, for spending your time with us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a rating or review if you have a second to help us out in that way. 
If you want to check out our Patreon, it's patreon.com slash potentpotables. And if you have friends who watch Jeopardy, tell them about our podcast. You can all find us on Facebook at Potent Potables, on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. Our email address is potentpotablescast at gmail.com. And our website is potentpod.com. And we will be back next week with another week of Jeopardy recaps and a deep dive and quiz. So until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.